Welcome into another edition of the Doyle and Derek podcast. I'm your host, Derek Schultz, and the star of the show, as always, is Greg Doyle, award-winning indie star sports columnist. And I got to say, Greg, I feel like um, I feel like today's pod is going to be a little bit of a being in disarray because apparently your snake crapped everywhere. Um, <laughs> my kid, my toddler broke my glasses, so oh. I'm like. I'm kind of running blind right here. I mean, I can like see you, I can see the iPad and the microphone and all of that. But like, I tried to drive to pick up lunch today and I, I don't think I should have been on the roads. Like that's how like not safe I am without, you know, with these broken glasses here. So hoping to soldier through it today. You don't have a spare, you don't have a spare pair. I lost them. I'm the worst man. I, I lose everything. Um, I bought a $30 wedding ring because I knew that I'd lose it eventually. And I actually, it, I made it seven years. And then when this whole pandemic started, I was washing my hands all the time. And then I looked down and I was like, wait a minute, I don't have my wedding ring on. So who the hell knows where that is? So yeah, uh, long story short, I, I'm a pretty organized person. I feel like I just, I, I don't know what it is. I lose keys, my wallet um, all the time. And for days, like I'll, I'll not have my wallet for like five days and then I'll find it under the couch or something like that. People who lose things a lot, and people who drop things a lot, you know, you used to say, oh, you're Butterfingers and or, you know, you're absent minded um, and all that, I guess, is true. But the reason these things happen is I'm sure you're like me. You have a lot on your mind and you're always thinking about other stuff and you literally put your keys down and aren't you're not there. You're not present with your keys. And so you put yeah. your keys down and you're not there when it happened. And so you don't know where it was. And same thing with I drop stuff all the time. Because I like I'll be thinking about my kids, thinking about something, and I'll really my fingers just forget they're holding something because I'm not here anymore. So I I get it. I hear you. Is the snake situation taken care of? By the way. Yeah, I thought that was kind of going to be between us a little oh, bit. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry to put you <laughs> no, on blast there. <laughs> no, no, no. I actually I considered uh, bringing this thing in there, the the computer, and and letting you watch me clean the cage as we talked. Um, <laughs> Snake poop is weird. At least this boa constrictor's or python, it looks like um, and like a cigarette that's been burned, just ashes. It's that shape okay. and that color. Mm -hmm. It's like two inches of white ashes. Only those aren't ashes. Those are a former mouse that I dropped in there a couple days ago. And I yeah. don't, I won't feed them live mice. I won't, I won't do it. I can't. There's no part of me that can imagine dropping a mouse in there. And walking away, even if I don't have to watch it happen, I know that mouse's last few seconds are just pure terror. I can't do it. So I got to buy frozen mice and then I got to thaw them out. And the thawing process is gross and you got to get them body Ugh. temperature. It's awful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm really regretting asking you that question about the snake poop. Now. <laughs> That's what you get. I really, I really did not want to hear that answer. I'll be totally honest with you. It's what you get. Uh, I know we usually start Colts, and your latest column is on Frank Reich and a Zoom call that he had with the indie media and, and talking about Philip Rivers. And I'm actually kind of excited about this partnership because you and Philip go back a ways, and uh, I think we're all big fans of Frank Reich. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this season and, and everything that kind of develops out of that. But I actually wanted to lead, if it's okay, with now that it's over, the epic documentary, The Last Dance, 10 Parts. And, you know, with five straight Sundays, it had a captive audience because there were no live sports to take the stage with it. And uh, I just want to get your thoughts. Did you give it a chance? Did you just see bits and pieces or did you sit there intently and watch all 10 hours of it? Uh, you just gave me three choices and none of them are correct. No, did you didn't watch it at all? Not one second. Really? 
And it wasn't, it wasn't normally when I do stuff like this, like I didn't watch Game of Thrones in real time and I didn't watch Breaking Bad in real time. Mm. I've since, I've since watched both twice. Normally I do this. I'm kind of snobby. Like, I don't care what everybody's talking about. I'm cooler. That's what I normally do. Not this time. Uh, I realized how special this thing was going to be. And I'm sure how special it was. And I'll, I'll watch it someday. Um, I don't know. It just, you know, whatever time it comes on, is not my schedule. And, uh, even if, even if it is my schedule, that's not my schedule. So I'll watch it when I want to someday, but I haven't seen any of it yet. As it was happening, did you care? Like, were you, uh, I don't want to say a Jordan fan, but did you at least witness a lot of those moments live? Uh, and by live, I mean, you didn't have to be at the Delta Center in Utah or, you know, just watching them on TV like a lot of us did. Yeah, I, one of my, the big holes in my, sports writing careers. I mean, there's a lot of guys I didn't see. I didn't see Muhammad Ali. I didn't see Jesse Owens. You know, I didn't see Babe Ruth, but I, I didn't, I wasn't old enough to see those folks. I was old enough to see Jordan or young enough to see Jordan or whatever, whatever. I could have watched him live and covered him had my job taken me there, just never did. So I've never been in the same building with him. Well, at least not as a player. Um, so I regret that. Having said that, Oh, hell yeah. I mean, he was a, he was appointment TV for me. Now his last three titles came when my kids were born 95, one boy, kid, 97, the other. So you can't watch as much as you'd like to. But, yeah, Jordan was uh, – yeah, I watched every second that I could of him. Was that the Marlins days? Would that have the, – the later three-peat, would that have coincided with your time covering them? That's true also, yeah. Uh, I, I did Marlins 95 to 97. So 98, I had no excuse, I guess. But those first three years, yeah. And then 92, 94 um, – I don't know. I was covering high schools, the Tampa Tribune, I guess, but um, I just never got to cover. Yeah, I, like the the one chance I really had was the the last couple of years. I was at the Miami Herald, and we had the Miami Heat and all that. But because I was on the Marlins, there's a lot of people that pitch in on various beats. They don't make a Marlins writer pitch in anywhere because you know you're working so many games anyway. So I never. Sure. Yeah, I, I missed out on all that, but but yeah, watching him play live was. Uh, I mean, I mean, he had that tongue thing going and, and bald head. And, I mean, just he was so fun to watch. And I tell you what, uh, I, my connection to the, 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 the last dance is that every Monday morning I, I tape the previous night's Sports Center, And that's what I watch in the morning, my schedule. And so I watch Scott SVP every Monday morning. And every Monday morning, the first 15 minutes are a recap of the last dance, which yeah. kind of piss, pisses me off. I'd like to know what else is going on. But, but, the last on Monday, a couple of days ago, yesterday, I guess it was, I did not re his, you know, the best thing I saw all day is what he does every day. And he does 40 seconds. I didn't realize that Jordan, they were down three against Utah. Jordan drives for the, to get him within one, then steals the ball at the other end and then hits that winning shot. I, I knew about yeah. the winning shot, the Byron Russell, the push off. I mean, I knew all sure. that. The, the, the layup leading up to it, didn't know. The stealing, didn't know. And I'm a prisoner of the moment, so when I watch LeBron James, I think that's the best basketball player I've ever seen. And he is the most perfect physical specimen, combination of size, skill, everything that we've ever seen in basketball. But Jordan is the greatest winner of all time. Yeah, it's one of the great – it's probably the greatest individual minute in NBA history where it's the final minute of a – NBA Finals game, yeah, it wasn't a Game 7, but still, they would have had to go next game, Game 7, on the road at Utah, and we all know the percentages when it comes to the road teams in those games. And Jordan gets him within one, steals the ball, and like you said, hits the epic shot that really, you know, unfortunately, Greg, he should have just ended there. You know what I mean? I, I 
he came back for Washington. I remember I was early in college when he was playing with the Wizards, and I thought it was pretty cool. Me and my buddies would get together, and every once in a while he'd flash some of the old Jordan. But I just – part of me has always wished that that was it. You know what I mean? The Russell shot, it was just – it would have been such the perfect ending for such a perfect career. Yeah, and I, I guess the stuff that drove Jordan to be so great, that famous competitiveness that he had, that famous drive um, – uh, you know, there, there are some things that drive some of us, all of us, that we literally can't stop, whether it's an addiction to this in, in a bad way or a need to succeed in a good, whatever. The, the drive that Jordan had, I, I think he was helpless. He, I think he had to play for the Wizards. I don't think he had a choice. I'm sure if he, he'd go back, he wished he didn't. I, I don't know if he said that, but I bet he does. But, but in, in real time, he had no chance of stopping that. You know what's kind of interesting to think about is, and they touched on this in the, in the documentary, how close – that Pacers team came to knocking them off. I mean, they led with five minutes left at Chicago in game seven in 98. And that was the best Pacers NBA squad ever. It was better than the 2000 team that went to the finals. It was better than the 04, 13 or 14 teams. And if you really think about it, Greg, if they would have, and you know, ifs and buts, candy and nuts, the whole deal, right? We always talk about ifs and buts when it comes to these teams that, that never win championships like Purdue, like the Pacers, all of that. Um, but if they would have knocked off Jordan, you know, 99, they come back the next year. They very easily could have gone to the finals that year, if not for LJ's four point play and some mysterious circumstances around that loss to the Knicks 2000, they do go to the finals. You know, you're talking about potentially a really nice, and it, it was a nice three year run anyway, 98, 99 and 2000. Those are three really great Pacers teams, but I don't know. I was kind of thinking about that. Hey, if, if the ball bounces this way or that way. You know, could could we be talking about the Pacers as the um, maybe not the next dynasty, but the the team that took the throne from Chicago and remained on it for a couple of years? Well, I mean, I I really find it hard to believe that somehow you dropped a Purdue shot in there, <laughs> a Purdue oh, under, I, under I, a team in March. No, I'm not trying to say that, but you know what I'm talking about. I Purdue know. Fans, Purdue fans' existence, a lot of it is talking about what if. You know, what if Rob Hummel's knee didn't happen? You know, what if Mitch Richmond didn't go off in 88? You know what I mean? There's just a lot of their history. What if Kyle Orton doesn't fumble? I'm sorry for Purdue fans that are listening to this. Please don't turn it off. I'm not, I'm not trying to make you relive all these experiences, but I think even Purdue fans would agree that a lot of their history is what if blank, 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 and blank had happened. Yeah. The thing about uh, back then with Jordan and, and, and the Pacers is – and we'll never know. But Bird had this thing about he thought a coach's voice three years was about right. And so he coached three years, three great years, and and, and left. And then, of course, he was a G, he, he fired Frank Vogel after X number of years and made him go away. Maybe it was five years. I forget. Whatever. I think it was five for Vogel, if I remember. Yeah. It was five for Vogel, but he talked about the, the coach's voice just yeah. doesn't. Um, so I don't know. We, we'll never know if Bird would have stayed a little bit longer. But that that is fascinating to think about. That. It's hard to imagine because we we know those Pacers never did anything after that. I mean, they didn't, they didn't win anything. It's kind of hard to imagine. Maybe they do. Who the hell knows? That's that's fun for some people to think about what could have been. Uh, it just hurts my head because there's so many variables. I'm, I'm thinking about all this stuff, and I just I'm too real. I'm too uh, rational about it, and it just it's it's more fun to talk irrationally, and I can't do that. It kind of sucks that we can't enjoy teams like the 1998 Pacers in today's landscape because if it was today, Greg, and you know this because you you deal and, and I got feedback from these fans for years on the radio as well. If you come that close and then you lose, you're a choker, right? 
you're you failed. You didn't win the title, so who cares? You know, we make fun of the Colts for the AFC finalist banner, but I actually think that being the toughest out for perhaps the NBA's greatest all-time player and certainly one of its greatest dynasties, the Bulls' six titles in eight years, I think that's actually something we're taking some pride in and celebrating. Um, yeah, it wasn't a championship. It wasn't a banner, a ring, or anything like that, but I just think you drive yourself crazy in sports if you don't let yourself enjoy accomplishments, even if they aren't the highest level of accomplishment. And I thought that was an accomplishment and just making them sweat it out. I, I, I hate the tendency we have to, when, when two teams or people, golfers, boxers, whatever, uh, go at it and uh, somebody, only one can win, therefore the, whoever lost blew it or choked. And it, that, We don't do that every time, but we do that too much. And, and I guess it was Lou Holtz who said many, many, many years ago, asked about the other team, he's, you know, a loss or something. He goes, don't forget, they give scholarships too. Um, and the other team, get, I mean, the other team had Jordan. So it, it's a shame, um, you know, like Phil Mickelson finally got himself a, a major or two or more, but it, it's hard to be Phil Mickelson when Tiger Woods is going nuts. And it's hard to be the Pacers in the East when Michael Jordan's going nuts. It's just, it's hard to be Reggie Miller. His career never got the, as much due as it got, and it got a lot, but I'm sure he never got the due that he would have gotten with just one ring, just one. Oh, all those guys, Ewing, uh, Malone, Stockton, Barkley. You know, the narrative changes a lot if, you know, any one of those guys breaks through and wins a championship. It's it's a much bigger deal than how – and we still remember them as all-time great players, just not, you know, to that elite, elite, elite level uh, like Jordan because of the six. Uh, let's talk about Frank Reich yesterday because you loved Frank Reich and all of the hand motions that were going on during the Zoom call. I think it's really hard. I, I try to be as impartial as um, – but I just find myself, just like anybody else, you know, becoming enamored by certain people and the way that they carry themselves. And, and it's just really difficult to not – Frank Reich might go 5-11 and 11 this year and then 4-12 and 12 next year and be fired and, and his tenure be regarded as a failure. I have no idea. But it's hard not to like Frank Reich the person. Am I right? Oh, he's he's great. He is so great. Um, and so great any, any way you want to shape it, great. He's, he's cool and charismatic, great. He's nice and humble and – Gentle, great. He's very fundamentalist Christian, great. If that's your cup of tea, I mean, he's just, he's just great. He's just great. Um, and Ballard is great in his own way too. They, they've got these two guys that are just so. You think they're good at the jobs, you do, but you know they're so super likable, and it's just so lucky for us that two of the most prominent people in our sports marketplace are so much fun to talk to and to listen to, or to watch their clips or whatever. They're so easy to respect. Uh, I mean, Frank Reich is, I mean, I respect him whether he ever coaches a game in his life. He's just, just, he's that cool. But yeah, to, to listen to him talk, you know, some people talk and, and bless his heart, Pagano, Pagano would talk and, and I never really believed anything. And I don't mean believed that he was speaking the truth. I just was never inspired to believe that this franchise is doing something with him. And that's not just hindsight that I, I just, I mean, I was hard on him in real time In real time. I just never, I mean, he talked just like a football coach. He talked like an old school coach. A guy that in the '80s you take, you'd think, "Wow, that's how it sounds." By the, by the year 2013, 14, that's not how they sound anymore. Don't don't sound like that. Or if you do, it, it you sound like a throwback. Anyway, Reich just sounds competent, and I mean that in the best possible way. He just sounds so competent, and he's excited about this season. And listen to him talk, and just thinking about it, and thinking about Rivers and and behind this offensive line, and just thinking, you know, with Mac and Taylor, and they drafted Pittman and all this. I mean, just you can see this offense 
scoring a lot of points. Yeah. Pagano's problem was that his words were never backed with action. Maybe that's why, yeah. You know, he'd always say the right thing, but then nothing, you know, nothing would ever happen. And, and Pagano was kind of the king of saying a lot without really saying anything at all. And I, I don't know. I guess part of me feels bad because he's a nice guy. We like Chuck Pagano and all of that. But, yeah, by the end, man, those those pressers became extremely, extremely tedious. Well, the one what word, you- sorry to interrupt, but, but I, before we, I forget, I just want to say this one word. The, Reich uses this word a lot, and he doesn't use it to describe himself. So he's not saying this to build himself up. It's just a word that he believes in, and the word is conviction. He says, he's talking about, you know, players running a route with conviction or Chris Ballard, you know, having the roster shaping it with conviction. He talks about conviction a lot. And that's, he speaks with conviction when he, like, unlike what you said about Chuck, when, when Frank talks, you, you kind of, wh- whether it works or not, we'll see, but he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And then whatever happens next, we'll see. It's all that experience given sermons. You know what I mean? He knows, <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, he, I think he knows how to really connect with people. No question. Um, what did you think of the the multiple year? Actually, let me let me preface it by saying this: if you had to bet on it today, and this is tough because sight unseen, right? But if you had to bet on it today, is Philip Rivers a Colt in twenty twenty one? Oh, I'd bet a lot of money on that. Now, and and you know, the, the only thing that stops that, well, obviously injury can stop it. The only thing that stop that is if he falls off a cliff this year, and we don't see that coming. Short of that, and he's not going to do that. He's only, I mean, he's going to be a Colt for twenty twenty one. To me, the over under is twenty twenty two. Um, his son Gunner will be in the seventh grade this year. So, and, and, and Philip, we all know is going to coach him in high school. Um, and Gunner's good. Uh, and he's going to be good. I don't know if he's a pro. I'm not, I shouldn't say that. I don't know if he's a college player. Good, but I, I, in fact, I'm sure he will be, he'll be a college player. Guys like Gunner with that kind of breeding and, and genes and coaching and all that, they play early in high school. So he'll be playing as a sophomore at the latest, mm-hmm. which means, so the year 2023, I don't care how good Philip Rivers is, 0-1 and 2 are his only three years here, three max. The question is, the year two years or three, is Gunner ready to start in the ninth grade or not? Because if Gunner's ready in the ninth grade, they're going to Alabama, and Gunner's going to start, and Philip's going to coach him. And that's, that's 2022. What happens if he's just okay? Like, what happens if the Colts go 9-7, and seven, narrowly miss the playoffs, Philip Rivers is fine, decent, you know, you know, I, we always talk in extremes, Greg. And you know, if if Rivers becomes 2018 Rivers, then yeah, it's a slam dunk. If Rivers is washed and terrible, like you said, falls off a cliff, then okay, it's a slam dunk. But what, what you know, what happens if he's just all right? Do you, do you bring him back for 25 million for another year, or do you draft somebody? Or I, I mean, this is cart way in front of the horse, but this is the kind of stuff that I think about. Yeah. Oh, sure. Um, and I think if, and obviously, it depends on 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 one big thing: is is he just all right? But the second half of the season, you know, and they see something like next year, you won't be even that. But let's just say if what you're asking is if he's just all right, and we kind of think that's who he'll be again in 2021. Do you bring him back in 2021? Yes, you do. If they're nine and seven, Um, maybe what you do, because Jacoby's in the final year of his contract, maybe and not maybe definitely what you do is you find a way to draft a quarterback. You trade up because if you're nine and seven, you're picking, you know, 23rd, but you trade up. Or you find one in the second round. Um, you you do what Chris Ballard says you never do. You force it. You find one and you draft him, and you let that guy sit for one year behind Rivers if Rivers wants to come back. Because if they're nine and seven, if they're that close, then whatever missing pieces they might have around Philip, you enhance that, and then you draft his replacement and you go for it all in 2021 again. I've got no problem with them going for it all. I mean, it's shocking to even think they're going to go for it. you know after the year we just watched. Yeah. With uh, the, to think that the Colts are in win now mode. 
like uh, just a year ago. That well, not a year ago. Back in January, that was non a win now mode. The team we just watched, but you. then they they get Philip Rivers, and and as long as he's not over the hill, anything's possible. And I'm optimistic, like everybody else. I think they've made a lot of improvements, but I, I would just caution on, you know, judging them too much on paper. You know, I'm I'm reading a lot about how well look at all the weapons the Colts have. Look, they have, you know, Jonathan Taylor. Well, Jonathan Taylor hasn't taken an NFL snap. They have Michael Pittman. Okay, well, Pittman hasn't taken an NFL snap. You know what I mean? Like I- I'm bullish on both of those guys, especially Pittman, that they're gonna come in and do well. You know, T. Y. Hilton's 30 and he had his most injury plague season last year. Um, there are a lot of unknowns uh as far as these weapons go. I think it looks great on paper, but actually seeing it. And uh, and having proven guys out there, the Colts don't really have a lot of that. I, I think we fell into that trap last year with their wide receiver depth chart. We were raving about Kane and Campbell and all those guys, and really, you know, none of those guys had done anything in an NFL game yet. Yeah, yeah, I, I regret being as um, fired up as I think I was. About Sorry, Paris that wasn't Campbell. a shot at you. <laughs> I, oh, I think no, we all I, I, were, we all were oh. enamored with that wide receiver depth chart. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I, you're right. They got to show it. Um, it's interesting. You think Pittman is more of a sure thing than Jonathan Taylor. I think Jonathan Taylor um, is a candidate to lead the NFL in rushing if Marlon Mack isn't here. Um, Marlon Mack's presence will make that impossible. Um, he might not even start ahead of Marlon Mack. Probably won't. But uh, Jonathan Taylor, young running backs, the best they ever are is right out of the gates. And it's hard to flop as running back. I don't know why it is, but I, nowadays – Really good ones. And I mean the best one or two in the draft every year. Those guys nail it every time. Um, because Maybe because they're fresh legs, whatever. Taylor's going to nail it. He's going to be great. Pittman, uh, there's talk about his speed. It seems fast enough to me. I mean, Michael Evans is not all that fast, and Pittman's about the same size, same speed. It seems like a fair comparison. If he could do anything like Mike Evans, that'd be great. So I like their weapons. I like them on paper. I think I'm going to like them a lot in, in, in real time. And I like their defense. I mean, Darius Leonard. And, I mean, yeah, I, I like the defense yeah. a lot. Buckner yeah. all of a sudden. I mean, I yeah. like they, DeForest Buckner, like Darius Leonard, is a guy that makes seven guys around him better. You know, um, you don't have to go get seven new guys. You get DeForest Buckner, and he makes the entire line better and half the linebackers. So I like it. Yeah, I think their linebacking core can be one of the best in the NFL. I really do. Um, they have the potential to be there. Again, we're talking on paper. But I, I only said Pittman because you're only asking him to be the complement to Hilton. You know what I mean? You're only asking him to be a wide receiver, too. And, and I think he can come in and do that right away. Now, that's not a very high bar, considering this is a team whose second-best receiver two years ago was Dontrell Inman, and their second-best receiver last year, no offense, was Zach Paschal. <laughs> so, I love I mean, Zach we're not, Paschal. We're not asking him. And I love Zach Paschal. And I love that Dontrell Inman's a super cool guy. Yeah. Uh, and, and he did a great job, but you know that's not a very high bar for Pittman to, claw, to cross considering his pedigree. Uh, Colts opening up their facility today. We're taping this on Tuesday. Week-by-week uh, week thing, but I feel like we always have to do kind of the, the Greg Doyle COVID update. But are we trending, do you believe, more positively, particularly for the fall sports with, you know, the, it, it's kind of at a snail's pace, but still it, it feels like we're starting to make some progress on gradually opening some things up are you still hey this isn't going to happen yeah this is this isn't going to happen this this is not going to happen um the best the best chance we have the best chance we have is here's what i think is going to happen and i'm and this is actually optimistic i think we're going to play two or three games this year before it gets all shut down and i don't think there'll be a fan in the stands for any of it um i just don't i don't see it you know they they're 
they're they're doing it the right way. They're going gradually, and and you can't play a season, you can't play games in August if you're not preparing in May to play games in August. So they have to do this, and hope that you know the narrative, the trajectory, the the curve, whatever something dramatic changes, and a, and a, a vaccine being discovered tomorrow changes it dr- dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, but where we are right now, um, and until we have a vaccine, we don't have a vaccine. So it's not even it's not even fair or fun to even think about well well if they have a vaccine no, no until there is one there's not one so i'm not i'm not going there we still don't have an aids vaccine and grant i'm not comparing the states i'm just saying we don't you know you don't have it so until we're there we're not there um my biggest thing about covid if we're gonna talk about this for just a minute and we are is uh and i, I there's like a and I could say a lot about this and I'm not going to do it, but there's a certain, there are people that wear masks and there are people that don't. And it's pretty obvious who's who. Um, and if you're one, and there, a guy, in, a guy in the star wrote uh, a letter to the editor. We ran it Sunday, proud of himself saying, I don't wear a mask. I still shake hands. I'm fine. And that kind of sums up the whole idea of it is that I'm fine. It's almost like, don't tell me I have to wear a mass, uh, a motorcycle helmet. Don't you tell me I have to do that. That's my choice. And that is your choice. Granted, if you get, if you get put in a, you know, if you get brain injury and the taxpayers have to pay for the next 40 years of your life, that's kind of on us too. But granted, wearing a helmet, that's your choice. Wearing a mask, it almost shouldn't be your choice. We're not worried about you getting sick. I mean, we are, but we're not. We want you to wear that mask so you don't get me sick. Or so you don't get somebody sick that you don't even know because you're going to see them in three days at Wendy's. Or so you don't go home and maybe your grandmother's there and you get her sick. And even though you don't have symptoms, you get them sick. Go to the Johns Hopkins website and they've got a dashboard tracking how many deaths there are and hit refresh and watch that number change. You know, people are dying out here and they're dying from people that aren't wearing, from a lot of reasons, but people that aren't wearing masks and don't have symptoms and pass it to somebody else and don't even know they pass it to them. Like there are people right now that are dying that I guarantee you they've gotten the disease from somebody who doesn't even know they pass it to them. And that could include me. It's possible I'm carrying it right now. And I gave it to somebody at Kroger and that person's dead. And yeah. I don't even know. I mean, that is entirely possible. So if you're not wearing a mask right now, you're not tough. Uh, you're not bold. You're not brave. You're not smarter than anybody else. You know, I don't judge people on a lot of stuff. Like if your hair is weird, if you, if you listen to weird mu- music that I don't listen to, if you wear jorts or whatever, I'm not judging on the silly stuff. But if I see you and you're not wearing a mask in a store, I'm judging you. And I'm not judging you kindly. I'm a big personal choice guy. I really am. Like, I think that marijuana should be legalized. If a grown adult wants to smoke a bowl in their in their home, I have no I don't know who that hurts. I have no problem with that. Um, I smoked cigarettes for 10 years. I don't anymore. Uh, they're terrible. It's a horrible habit. But if you want to light up a cigarette after a tough day and sit outside or in your car or whatever, you know, fine. I've got no problem with that. But when it comes to the public health, I just don't know why people can't be mildly inconvenienced by wearing a mask. Even, you know, and and now the whole thing, Greg, is, well, you know, masks don't even work that well and blah, 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 blah. Look, even if masks only work 2% of the time, that's still 2% better than not wearing a mask at all, right? I just don't, are they annoying? Do they fog up? You know, when my glasses aren't broken, do they fog them up? Yeah, of course they do. But I'm just trying to do my part, even if somebody sees me with a mask on, that they psychologically know, hey, this dude gives a crap about me. You know what I mean? I, I just think it's just a really selfish, and I, I don't even want to get into, like, the whole, like, tyranny and, and all of that. I, I think all of that stuff is ridiculous. It, it's just crazy to me 
And I guess it shouldn't be because I'm on Twitter and so are you and everything becomes politicized. I don't know how wearing a mask during a public health crisis became a political issue. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it really, yeah, it's, yeah, it's shocking. Yeah, you do know how. You know how it became. Isn't you it know, sad, though? You Isn't know it how sad that it came that way. You know who's not wearing a mask and therefore we're not wearing one either. It's Even if we're going funny. to the Mayo Clinic with yeah. sick people, we're not wearing a mask there either, Derek. It's just, yes, okay. I know how it happens. I'm still surprised that even with, even facing these circumstances, that people are still doing this. I mean, it really, it's just unbelievable to me. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I've never felt like I had much of a choice because I'm, I'm with somebody who's exposed to it all the time. So I, I feel like that was always going to be my personal responsibility to do that. But, you know, some of the stuff that I read from, you know, high school friends and, and older people on Facebook, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and, and I'm a very aware of this. There are people that don't know how to get a mask. Uh, maybe they've tried to order it and, you know, they're hard to find. It's kind of hard. To still I still can't find hand sanitizing soap. Um, mm -hmm. It's just hard to find certain things. So if that's who you are, I'm not judging you. And there, and or if you if you wear it a lot of times but forget, um, in real time I will be judging you. But I apologize because I, I wouldn't if I knew that story. There are so many times I've gone into a store without mine, and I'm miserable. And I get there like, oh no, where's my mask? And I want to like apologize to every single person I pass in a mask. I'm sorry I normally wear one. I'm sorry I normally wear one. So it does happen. But there are people that are flat out deciding, I'm. I'm not wearing a mask. And I just, this is not about you. It's there are, as you said, there are bigger things here than your health. Um, as hard as that is to believe for some self-centered people, this world is more than you for the good of other people. Listen to people smarter than you. And I'm thinking there's a lot of them who say masks help listen to them and wear a goddamn mask. Sorry. Yeah. Freedom is being responsible. And you know, that's, that's something that I think we're losing. And just watch, Greg. We'll get the vaccine, and then people will be like, "Well, I'm not getting the vaccine. It's my personal choice." Oh, God. And then, and then you know, we're kind of doing this all all over again in a circle. Um, let me just say, I and I've maintained this. I've I've been I haven't wavered on this. I don't think we'll see any fans in 2020 in any sporting events. Um, I do think, however, and this is where I have changed. I do think that there's going to be a football season. Um, I think college football is going to have some added hurdles to cross, but I think the NFL season is going to happen. I just don't think that they're going to be fans. Now, does it shut down at some point? I have no idea, but I do think that it's going to happen as scheduled starting in September. You know, and you don't know, but you know that if they, if they schedule, if they start the schedule and they, and I think they will. And there, I saw something on the ESPN ticker this morning that some companies out there trying to make face masks for the NFL. That I saw that too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, with with N95 or whatever that is, and that's great. But that doesn't. I mean, that you talk about you talk about going outside. Uh, if you if you live out if you if you're camping and that's you go outside your little tent and sweep the dirt away from your tent. That's how effective a really good face mask is going to have in a football game with all that contact. You know that if they play these games, um, you can hate it, and we all hate it. But if they play these games, you know dang well that. Two or three people are going to get sick, and two or three more. The question is, where do you shut it down? Like the NBA shut down, Rudy Gobert tested positive, they shut it down. And in mm -hmm. hindsight, that was clearly the right thing to do. In the NFL, if one guy tests positive, they're not going to shut it down. But that guy's going to be quarantined for two weeks, and they're going to test everybody else. How many tests will it take, positive tests will it take, even if just carrying it? Never mind just showing symptoms. Carrying it. It's not going to take many, and, and that league won't last. I give it two games, tops. two game. and, and And I say this with so much conviction and passion that it sounds like, 
that maybe I'm hoping for this and I want to be, or I don't, I'm not hoping for it. I don't want to be right, but it does. It is what it is. It's like the sun's going to rise tomorrow on one side of the world, not the other. I'm aware of that, whether I want it to <laughs> rise in my bedroom window and wake me up or not, it's going to happen. Um, we're not going to have an NFL season and, and a full season. And what, what breaks my heart for our city is that we are in the middle of right now, what should be the biggest two year stretch of sporting events yeah. in, in history. Like, Granted, if you have an Olympic Games, you have a shot at winning this argument. But other than that, I mean, we got the NBA All-Star Game, the Final Four, the National Ch- Championship in college football coming. We got all these Big Ten title games. We had a regional this year we missed out on. We got Olympic trials in some sports. We got Big Ten tournaments. We got all in two years. And oh, by the way, the Indy 500 too, which has already been postponed um, and won't have fans in August. So we're in the middle of the greatest two-year stretch in our city's history, and I'm saying in any city's history, and we're having it taken from us piece by piece, and that is awful. Hey, I've heard they've got social distancing um, marks set up already at the Speedway, 16th and Georgetown. Who gets in? Like, who get, Who do they decide? That, that's my issue. I think especially with the 500, Greg, you've got people that have been going to this for 40 years, 50 years, or whatever. Who goes to that person and says, hey, guess what? Your streak's going to end because we can only let in 30,000 people. You know what I mean? Like, to me, it's an all or nothing thing, and I don't think all is even plausible. There's just no way that we're going to let a quarter of a million people into that facility. There's just none. You know, the IMS IMS is so big that that you could let in 30 or 40,000 people and still have distancing. Um, They have a shot. Uh, You know, when I said there won't be people there, they – there's a shot. There's a, there's no chance of the NFL having people. There's no chance. But IMS in August? I just think you – I think you piss too many people off if you try to do that. I, I think you'd rather just not have any fans at all than have people feel like they missed out. Yeah, I hear you. That uh, is the one yeah, thing that no one's really talking about is that we can do social distancing and we can have not quite full stadiums or not full stadiums. And, and I'm thinking, okay, if you're a season ticket holder at Penn State and there's 90,000 of you, which of you get told, sorry, not yeah. you? Because because you're the ones that aren't going to donate next year. Whereas if we tell everybody, sorry, not any of us, they won't lose all their donations. I, I just I just don't see it happening. And the same thing you goes just, with, yeah. you stagger the games. Maybe you say, okay, you take you know you take the Indiana game and the Michigan game, and then you know Johnny takes the Ohio State game and the Rutgers game. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> you, you just do it like that, Greg. <laughs> look. I'm a solutions person, okay? So you're laughing. I'm trying to provide solutions here. I'm laughing at Rutger. And you're just, oh, okay. See, I thought you were laughing at my solution. That's no, what they're I called. like your solution. Rutger. That's what they're called. Until they do something in football, they have not earned their S. So they are referred to as Rutger. That's how we're going to call them. Okay. <laughs> While we're on the topic, college sports, um, let, let's quickly get to the, the two. I know this Purdue storyline is kind of faded out because it happened in the middle of last week, but we haven't talked to our audience since uh, Matt Painter made the comments about um, Matt Harms and uh, and Nojel Eastern on Dan Dockage's show. Also, uh, Christian Lander, which is a much fresher story, just happened yesterday, uh, officially reclassified. So now he's part of Indiana's 2020 recruiting class and signed his letter of intent. Um, let's start with the Painter comments, though, first, Greg, because – I don't know if I, I heard your take on this. Well, first of all, he's, he's got to say something. He, he's got to be as positive as he can about it. And, 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 uh, and he said a lot of things that can be taken out of context. But in a nutshell, he, I mean, if you want to boil it down to five or six words, and maybe it's not fair to do this, but he said these five or six words in a row. He said, we got better yesterday. What happened yesterday? No gel Eastern left. 
Um, and, and, and he meant a lot more than that, but still he said that. Um, and I understand as a coach, you need to say that you're trying to recruit for the future. You don't want the sky's not falling on us. And I'm not saying it is falling, but you've got to present yourself in a certain way at all times. I get it. What I didn't understand about that, a couple things about this, and we're, I know we're going a little bit long, but um, maybe even including you, because you're so exceptionally fair. I, <laughs> you are. I'm not sure there's been anybody in this market since I got here that's been better to Purdue than me. I, I don't know. And I don't, you know, some people would say I should be ashamed to even say that because you shouldn't be good to a certain school or whatever, but no one's been better than them than me. And I came to the, to the IU star replacing a guy that was, you know, no yet half the time. No one's been better at Purdue than me. But I come out on Twitter and say, devastating loss for IU, for Purdue to lose Eastern after losing Harms. And I got attacked and called a hater. And, and I mean, just, I got attacked. And mm-hmm. I, you lose two seniors, two of your best. Okay, they're not pros, maybe. You lose, certainly, no jail's not an NBA. But you lose two of your best six, seven players in your rotation with no chance to replace them in the recruiting cycle. You lose two of seven. You're only two seniors or your best two seniors. And that's not devastating. And your best two defensive players, two of the best five in the whole damn league. And that's not devastating? I, I can't hear that, A, and I, but a B, I can't hear that I'm attacking them. Not me. Not me, Derek. But uh, anyway, I'm getting fired up about this. But I don't, I don't, don't you earn some goodwill over X number of years by doing something the same way every day, and then it just gets pissed away by a stupid little tweet? I just think, and and it's funny because this pot has turned into like the the psychoanalysis of uh, analysis of of Purdue fandom. But <laughs> I, I I think Purdue fans just have the defense shields up all the time, and I, rightfully so because a lot of it is you know the fact that they are fighting to get the attention and the coverage that they feel they rightfully deserve. And, and I can't and it, hear that because I've given them more than anybody. No, so I, 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 I totally agree with that. you. You're but, right but, about that, but I can't hear that personally. I can't hear it's it. It's just been years and years, and so it's it's hard to, you know, just heal that wound. That's always going to be there for them. But, you know, I wouldn't say that losing Harms and Eastern is, like, the most gigantic blow ever because those guys weren't part of their core moving forward. You're right. They were rotation guys, but Harms lost his spot to Travion Williams, and No Jelly Eastern lost his spot too. So, yeah, of course you could use their experience, and Eastern was a gifted defender. He can't hit a layup but he's a great defender. And I loved Harms as an energy guy. Uh, but I, I think Purdue can recover from that. What, what I didn't like, and I love Matt Painter. I, I am the biggest Matt Painter fan around. I love that he's honest all the time and you get exactly what you get with him. But I think he was, um, I don't know if overly honest is the right term. I, I think him saying you're not a boilermaker to a guy in Harms that gave him four years and his degree says Purdue on it. I don't think that's fair. Um, Look, Matt Harms may not have handled his transfer all that great. I had heard that he basically just showed up in Painter's office and said, hey, I'm leaving, and they had no idea it was coming. He also took a little bit of a pot shot at them, said he thought BYU could better help show off his skill set or what, you know, I'm paraphrasing. But Harms gave him four years. He was the key part of the team that made their deepest tournament run in 20, and he earned his degree. He's allowed to graduate transfer. You know, we, we, we hold these – we let the coaches do whatever they want. The players can do whatever they want to. Um, he gave him four years. He earned his degree. I think the harm situation is a little bit d- different from Eastern, who is just a malcontent, and apparently his mom and the people around him were complaining all the time. So uh, probably better off without Eastern. But uh, I didn't like the comment because I think it implied that Harms was, you know, uh, not a good teammate or whatever. Hey, look, he, he gave him four years. He made a decision that he thought was going to be best for his career. Even if you think it's the wrong decision, that's not your decision to make. It's his. He's an adult. 
yeah, there's stuff there that we don't know yet, and maybe we never will, uh, about harms and Eastern. There's obviously stuff we don't know. We don't know the whole story, whatever it is. I'm not saying there's a smoking gun, but if there is, we don't know it yet. But um, I'm with you on harms. Eastern's kind of strange to me that he he entered the NBA draft twice, including this year. Um, so on the one hand, that shows a lack of, I don't know, self-awareness. I mean, you can – I mean – yeah, I, I don't, I don't get that one at all. But, but the other thing is, at Purdue games, and and they're they're the best I've seen at this. They make their in-game situation so fun for fans and and media watching. That they're the stuff they put on the scoreboard, the the videos, the this that. It's the music they play. It's it's the best. It's the best atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, and with no gel, they had him. They had a whole s- series of no gel spots every game. Um, about Nogel kind of trying to hip up the fans with hip hop lingo or something, you know, just using words that a lot of folks don't know what they mean. And he's going to explain it. And he did it with this great little smile on his face. And he was so charming. And he's 6'7, 240, and just scary looking because the, yeah. but he's yeah. just so charming and nice and humble <laughs> up there. And they, so they, there must be something about his personality that they think is great or they wouldn't give him that spot, I wouldn't think. So I find it kind of un- it, just the whole thing's interesting that all of a sudden he's a malcontent and maybe he is. But I'm not sure you give a malcontent the, the platform they gave him last year. I, I, the That's whole fair. thing's just kind of weird. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes too, Greg, it, it doesn't make for a great column or for a great podcast. Sometimes, you know, a guy chooses to transfer and it has nothing to do with him being unhappy or has nothing to do with the coach. It's just he decides that's what he wants to do. Like, I, I think we're painting this as either, well, Harms and Eastern are bad teammates or they're, they're flawed that they mentally, they don't want to fight or it's, well, Matt Painter's a problem. And there's a, a huge issue right now at Purdue. You know, there's, I, I don't think it's either of those things. I think it's just two guys that just decided, Hey, I'm going to move on to a situation that I think is better for me. You know, that's, but that doesn't make for a great column or a great pot. No, and that, I, I kind of feel that way on both. And, and the only comment I've made about any of this is that, it's a devastating loss to lose two seniors that are in your rotation uh, with no chance to replace them. And that is devastating. Does devastating mean it's the worst thing that could have happened to him? No, there's a couple other guys that would be worse to lose. But um, it's, I'm, I'm standing by it's a devastating loss. It just is. It's devastating. It doesn't mean they can't win 18, 20 games this year uh, if there is a year. But, I mean, that that's devastating. And if you're painter, at least now, you know, glass half full, you get guys that are 100% bought in because that's at a place like Purdue, you need to have you need to have 100% buy in just about everywhere, but especially with him because he's going to hold his guys accountable. It doesn't matter who you are. Yep. Uh, I, w- I wanted to conclude with this because and, and I texted you this and you just started laughing at me. Um, I had a in my previous employment, I had a an advertiser um, relationship with FanDuel. And so I would promote their app once it became legal in Indiana in the fall and they gave me some money to play around with. So I'd bet on NFL games and all of that, you know, little, little bets, $2, $4, $5, whatever else I hadn't bet on anything in forever. Right. Because nothing's been going on and they made Russian table tennis available to bet on. So I was like, well, hell yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's feed the animal here. So I went on the FanDuel app and I actually did a four person parlay of four Russian favorites in their ping pong matches, and all four of them won. A parlay means you take multiple things, but all of those things have to happen for you to win your bet. So it, it just kind of increases the odds. So I put um, I put five dollars on four Russians and came out with sixteen bucks. So who, who said who, who said Russia is no good for American society? Um, yeah, I can think of a few, few people who have said not that. Um, <laughs> you're telling me you're telling me that you have. You bet on four different guys to win. They all won. You bet five dollars, and all you got out of that was sixteen. 
they were all favorites, so they were all like you know going off at minus two fifty or more. So uh, to to win a dollar, you'd have to bet two fifty. But let me look and see exactly what the the odds were because I have it right here on the handy app in front of me, and I can also give you the names of the, the Russians that won me some dough. Uh, but you added it all up, and I, I think it ended up being like plus two fifty or something like that uh, at the odds at the end of the day. Yeah, here it is. So Zasur Kubalerberdiev, Vladimir Savanov, Danila Andreev, and Alexander Petrov all won at minus 270, minus 270, minus 350, minus 360. So my odds ended up being uh, plus 209 in that four-person parlay. Okay. So that's why you won. You bet five and you won about $11 yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's in, I wonder who's thought up the minus 130 versus, you know, plus 180 and all that, because that all the UFC fights are that way now. And and I don't know much about any of the stuff, but I I know the, the bigger the minus is, holy cow, are you a favorite? And so it's always yeah. cool to see, like, uh, you know, John Jones is a minus 1200 or something. I mean, you got to you got to bet like a fortune just to get back a small fortune. It's, it, it really discourages it. A lot, but yeah, good for you for winning in Russian ping pong, and and I didn't even know they played ping pong in Russia, and and I won't be looking for that anytime soon. Well, if you want to, if you want to hop on this train, Greg, win some money. I'm just saying, I'll show you how to set it up and everything. I'll, I'll give you some advice on some of these Russian players. I, I see like I know them pretty well. Korean baseball too. I bet on the NC Dinos. They lost, so I lost two dollars. Yeah, I feel like our I don't connection know what the NC is. Stands for. Our connection is going back. <laughs> I can't stand what I'm saying. Oh, okay. Yep, you're you're chopping up, Greg. Uh, latest columns: Frank Reich, Philip Rivers, Idiot. NFL diversity hiring, which we didn't even have a chance to get to, but I love that column and the uh, COVID nineteen impact on indie sporting events, which of course we talked about on this pod. All available indiestar.com/sports and through the IndyStar app. Please subscribe and support local journalism. We'll talk to you next week, my man, and uh, hit me on text for those Russian bets, okay? Yeah, you're so classy to always say that. I want to say this real quick. We got the Indy, the Indy 500 is not this weekend, but the stars, we're having our pre our pit pass you know, show, and we're having a lot of stories. I wrote a column this morning for Sunday's paper about my memories of it. So we're going we're gonna to do what we can to make this a special weekend you know, with everything but the race, which is pretty much everything but the race, but uh, that's what it is. Looking forward to it. We'll talk to you next All right. week. All right, Derek. Yep, bye.